0: Yeah, good morning. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. Honestly, it's great. Uh, We're going to get started. If you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you that that's a really good idea at the Rock Church. Open it to Matthew 25. I was, uh, pardon me, yeah, Matthew 25. We're going to be looking at one of the parables that Jesus taught his disciples in that chapter. And it, it made me think, actually, when I said open your Bibles, please, this morning, whether it's on your phone or a tablet, that's great. But I watched this past week, Janice and I watched this past week, uh, a movie called Jesus Revolution. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, you should. It's fantastic. It's really good. It's uh, Jonathan Rume, who plays Jesus in The Chosen, is uh, playing Lonnie, uh, one of the hippies, who, who uh, begins a movement in Southern California many, many years ago uh, that I actually remember. And uh, one of the best things, things I saw in the movie, and I loved it, because Chuck Smith is the pastor of a church that's basically dying, uh, mostly older people who don't really want hippies in their midst, and all of a sudden, there's one scene where the the, the church is full of hippies, full of them, and, and Chuck walks up to the pulpit and goes, and every hippie in the room pulls their Bible out and puts it up in the air. I wish we were a church full of hippies, okay that's all, that's all I'm saying. It, listen, it comes up on your phone that's fantastic, okay? Just don't text anybody during the sermon, okay so listen we're going to be we are in a series as you can see. Have we have our screen back up again there? Alec. Uh, yeah, locally grown, the fruit of the Spirit, this is the ninth uh, message in the series. So we've been going th- very slowly through all of the fruit, and uh, not because of me, but I think most of you will, will agree, it's been really awesome to see what this fruit is all about. And so our key verses, uh, which will be on screen for you, are from Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, today, faithfulness, Gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. So, to help us discover what this fruit, facet, character trait of faithfulness actually looks like, I want you to read with me, it won't be on screen, Uh, Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, a very, very interesting and challenging parable. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. So Jesus said, for the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to their ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And again he heard the words of his master, saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him and and said, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and you gather where I scattered no seed, Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. We need to pray. (laughs) Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for this day. Uh, Father, we thank you that in our world and culture, there is a day set aside to celebrate mom, motherhood, this incredible gift that you gave to all of us, that we would have a mom that we would be birthed by someone who loved us so much to carry us in her body and to deliver us. And then to the best of her ability, to raise us. So today we celebrate that and we thank you for her. Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us, all of us today, just understand this amazing fruit of faithfulness that obviously clearly comes from you first of all. That you're calling us to it. Lord Jesus, you're calling us to it. So I pray that you would help us as we unpack this this morning. I pray this in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So as I was thinking about this this week and writing my notes for this, uh, I, I'm thinking that, that this particular facet, quality, trait of faithfulness, is it, it's the great equalizer of all of the facets. And I, I actually was wondering, like, why, why Paul, who wrote this, why Holy Spirit, who inspired him to write it, did you... Push hold faithfulness to t- that far down, right? Like love, joy, faithfulness maybe, right? Before peace. But it's later. And it's important. And, and the realization that I came to is, is that all of the facets, every single one of them, virtue, character traits, that are one fruit of the Spirit, rely on and support one another. They rely on each other. Especially this one. A serious deficiency in any of them will seriously impact the depth, and effectiveness of all the others. I I think most of us who've been in this series but have actually been thinking about fruit in our own lives, we know that's true. You know, if we're lacking love, the the love of the Father, the agape love of the Father for our brothers and sisters in Christ and for our neighbor as ourself, it likely has something to do with how faithful we are being. Right? How patient we are being. How kind, good, etc. So they're important. So listen, rather than imagine, we've been over this, and some things we repeat every week, and I'm going to do it again, just for your benefit, uh, we've imagined before, like at the beginning of the series, you've seen series that have been done before, and there's always this image of a tree, right? And the tree has got all kinds of fruit on it, right? It's got apples and oranges and watermelon, bananas, mostly, and I'm like, you know, like we're, we're preparing this series, I'm going, that, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, that no tree can grow that, right? No vine can grow that. And so we looked at John 15, Jesus' story, and teaching about the vine and the branches and all the rest of it, and we came to this conclusion. This is what fruit looks like. That's what fruit looks like, right? That's what very ripe fruit looks like. That's what fruit looks like that's been through a whole summer, especially up in the good old Okanagan, the land of Merlot, thank you, Lord, is is. (laughs) is simply this, it's it's that it it starts off and it's it's a lot of preparation of the vine and and attaching the vine to a trellis and then there's weather and climactic changes, there's heat, which is really important, but too much heat, not enough water, too much water. The the, the fruit has to struggle all summer and the pruners, the farmers, have to struggle all summer to keep the health of the fruit so that it looks like that. So then mid-summer, it looks like this. And so that image we've been showing to you, I've been showing to you every week, not every week, but most weeks, just to remind us once again that it's about ripening of fruit in our lives. And, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who produces the fruit in us, and the goal is the first image, which we won't go back to, but that's pretty typical, I think, of what most of us are looking like right now. And then in the life of the Christian, it's like it's just ongoing, right? It's its like many seasons in our lives, many ups and downs christian a lot of heat a lot of testing and some painful pruning by our heavenly father the vine dresser so that what we can bear much fruit so that we can ripen and be these people that he's calling us to be people who are full of love joy etc so over the course of the series we've been repeating a key point that this fruit This fruit that's described here in these verses, although looking like natural virtues that every thoughtful human being would want to cultivate in their lives, that there is a difference between the natural character traits that every human being would want to have and this fruit. The difference is, this is supernatural. You and I cannot attain perfect love, perfect joy, peace, patience. These are attributes of God, his character, and so they are supernatural. And so all of these traits are those that represent the very character and heart of God, and the only way they can be produced in a person's life is by the Holy Spirit. He has to be in you, working these out in you, which means you need to be attached to the vine, who is Jesus Christ. The lifeblood flows through him and the vine to the branches, And so it's the key to why Jesus taught about the vine and the fruits, and it was this, so that, listen, at the end of the day, you and I would realize, and he says it in John 15, he he says that, look, besides the fact that you one day need to actually tell people the gospel, (laughs) you're a sinner, you need Christ, he died for you, you can be forgiven. Besides that, these fruit, the fruit, pardon me, these facets are what will prove to this world this lost and dying and broken and hurting world, that you are truly a disciple of Christ. Because the way that you demonstrate these things, the way that I, we live these things out, will be different. It'll be different, and people will see that, and they'll go, who are you? (laughs) What are you? It opens an opportunity for us to witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. And so now, having repeatedly drilled this fact in over the past several weeks, I, I, I thought uh, that there's a potential for a misunderstanding. There's a potential for a misunderstanding for some of us. And I, I, I've maybe lived this out of my life as a Christian over the last 40-some years, and I know some of you probably have as well. And it's a misunderstanding that might limit, listen, our fruitfulness. It's possible that we might fight the tension that can exist between our being, our being and our doing, right? That should flow out of who we now are. We might think, well, there was nothing that I can do, there was nothing that I could do to save myself, to earn God's forgiveness by just being a good guy, Glenn, you know? By doing good words. There's nothing that I could do. Every Christian knows that. That's not the gospel. The gospel is there's nothing you could do. It's what Jesus did for you. That saved you. So knowing that, some of us would say, well, there, there's nothing that I can do, because Glenn, you've been repeating it over and over, uh, to sanctify myself or produce this fruit in myself. That's true, too. <laughs> that is very true. Because after all, it is the Spirit's fruit, and he is the only one who can produce it in us. There's little, therefore, for me to do, some of us could assume, than to just pray, oh, dear Lord, right now I need to be more loving, so give me more love. And then wait. Oh, Lord, I need, to, I need to be more kind, patient. Please give me more patience. Where is it? What's going on here? There's a tension there. And I want to clear that up with you today through what we're going to see in the parable, but also some other things. So the Greek word that's used in Ephesians 5, me, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23 they're all Greek, but this particular word for faithfulness has two sides the, the same coin. There's two sides. The first side of the coin, the definition would be this. The state of being someone in whom, there we go, complete confidence can be placed in. So that's what the word, and when people heard this in that day, they would go, okay, that, that's what that means. Like, that's, that's a really strong word. The state of being. So there's being, the kind of person in whom complete trust can be placed in, which obviously, listen, that obviously suggests something, doesn't it? It suggests there had to have been some evidence that these people were being these things. They were being this kind of person. There had to be evidence. And, of course, another word that we could say that would have been on display is trustworthiness, which, again, suggests that You know, it's something that you've seen, it's been demonstrated. This person's been put in a place where faithfulness, trustworthiness needed to be shown and needed to be on display, and you saw it again and again and again. And that takes us to the other side of the coin, which is this, maintaining faith, maintaining faith or allegiance, showing a strong sense of duty or conscientiousness. And the words that I like there are maintaining, showing, and duty, which are clear indications that this type of faithfulness is what's being called for here. And it's, it's actually also meant, and for those of you who are here today, who are happily married, anybody? <laughs> yes, thank you for, yes, that's really, really good. You, you meant that in your vows, right? You meant that when you said until what? <laughs> Death till she kills me or no, whatever, <laughs> right? Till death do us part, right? It is a faithfulness that is strong and it is maintained for life. Or at least that's the idea. It's this kind of faithfulness. So, however, considering the rates of what? Divorce and common law separation. I don't know if you know this, but the divorce statistics that you can Google and find out for Canada do not include separations of people who haven't legally married, which is an ever-growing percentage in Canada. It's, it's shockingly high amongst the second group. But in our culture today, it's, it's, a, it's a very big challenge. So this is a person, when they make a promise, which is a covenant, they always, they're always faithful. They always keep that promise. They can be counted on. So this side of the coin is about the kind of person who is trustworthy, listen, over a long, long period of time. And it's been on display. And when you really need someone that you can trust, and, and, and you need them now, that's the kind of person you're going to think of and ask. So we've been doing this throughout the whole series. It's great to be talking about how this fruit is supposed to look in us, right? And it's, a, it's supposed to be in us, and it's a gift, Right? But it's God, and so we've been doing this through the whole series where we've been going to the Old Testament and the New and looking at okay, how is our heavenly Father, the God of the Old Testament, Jesus, some of the early disciples? How faithful were they? How was that demonstrated? And just a simple look at the Old Testament, I think you would all agree, it has to ask this question: Is there a word if you if you read the Old Testament life journaling? Hello, if you're reading the Old Testament through and through. there's probably no way that God is described more than faithful, right? It's constant. Again, you go looking for it, and it's it's absolutely amazing that you see this. And, And there are so many testimonies to his faithfulness, and the most significant, of course, is his faithfulness to his word, to his promises. Why is that? He keeps them, every single one. He makes promises, lots of them. Every single one. He keeps them. He's faithful. It's just an incredible picture of our God. And so we, 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 we know that that's supernatural. We don't. How many promises have you made and broken them? Yeah, yeah, son, I'll, I'll, tell, yeah, I'll be home. I'll, I, tonight, we'll, yeah, we'll go, we'll go hit some golf balls at the driving range. Hey, son, I'm sorry. I, I work, I'm working late, whatever. <laughs> okay, I got that T-shirt. Promises are so important, but not with our God. It's all throughout the whole Testament. One of the first ones that we'll see will be on screen is from Deuteronomy 32. It says, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. All of his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness, without iniquity, just and upright is he. Psalms. <laughs> Come on. You can almost not read a single psalm where faithfulness, the faithfulness of God, is not mentioned. Psalm uh, 33 uh, says this, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in all of his work. He's done a lot of things. He's doing a lot of things and he will do a lot of things. Is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of The steadfast, another word for faithfulness, love of the Lord. Psalm 36, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Major hyperbole here saying it's just beyond. You're faithful beyond anyone, anything. It is so beautiful. So these actually are the words of the people of Israel, of some of the people of Israel, you know, David, and some of the authors of the New- Old Testament, Moses, etc. These are their words. And if you were to sit any one of them down, if we could grab somebody from like the days of Jesus and say he was Jewish, he was a rabbi, whatever, he'd say, sit down, tell me about your experiences. Okay, it need to be somebody a little older than that, someone to live through these days, right? And, and just tell me, how, why did you describe God as being so faithful, right? And, and they, they'd have countless stories. They would have countless stories, but one of the biggies, of course, would be the exodus, Amen, like he, like freeing his people from captivity, faithfully promising Abraham that he would give him a nation, a people that would number, outnumber the sa- grains of sound on, uh, sand on a sand on the beach, uh, every beach in the world, faithful. they would describe that to you, but at, at the same time, they would, they would say, yes, he was faithful. Faithfully, you know, keeping his promises. All the while, we were completely unfaithful. Like, time and time. It's called patience of God, right? Long-suffering all the while. And so his promises to Abraham to lead them out of captivity, faithfully provide them with food and a way forward, they would have told you about that. They would have looked back on that and said, Christian, can you look back on your life? We sang it today. Were you singing those words? How faithful has he been in your life so far? Oh, I hope there are countless ways for you to be able to express that. Maybe share that over lunch today. It would be a good thing to remind ourselves of. And yet, again, they knew the faithfulness of their God, despite their continual unfaithfulness, listen, toward him and each other. Despite that. The song we sang today that I actually asked Rudy to, I don't normally do that. I think last a week or two weeks ago, I asked Nick to sing a song uh, just because I couldn't get it out of my head. Great is thy faithfulness. is oh, that a beautiful hymn? Amazing. I, I, I don't know if you know this, but it actually comes from the book of Lamentations. It's not exactly a happy book, <laughs> right? But that's where it comes from. It's a great book. Maybe we need to go through that book. Lamentations 3 says this, the steadfast faithfulness, love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies... Never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So this is the the constant refrain about our God. Why? Because it's true. Because it's true. It's trustworthy. You can rely on it. I can rely on it. Everyone can rely on it, which is why we place our faith in him. And so it's despite many examples, actually in the Old Testament, we need some good news here of unfaithful people. There are examples of faithful men and women, right? There are some really good examples. Moses is extremely good example. I mean, he had to endure, uh, to a certain extent, almost the same things that the Lord God had to endure. The faithfulness of his own people that he's trying to lead out of captivity. Moses was extremely faithful. Occasionally, he got a little ornery. Occasionally, he wanted to pass the work off to somebody else. But he said, no, he... The Lord strengthened him. The Lord gave him the fruit of faithfulness. And he demonstrated it and he lived it out. I mean, you could do a whole study just on Moses, it would be amazing. Every episode of his faithfulness, but there are many others. Consider Joseph, Samuel. How about Ruth? Huh? How about Ruth? I love that book. I'm afraid to preach it. I might cry a lot. Fantastic story and fantastic. Daniel, Jeremiah, just to name a few. Just do studies on their faithfulness. It will encourage you, at least it should. Of course, we have no greater example than who? Jesus, the God-man, who, yes, had the Holy Spirit fully orbed in him, but also he was fully man, so tempted in every way, just like you and I. He was faithful in every way that he was called to be faithful. He was faithful to the mission. I, like, I think I've shared this with somebody before, you know, COVID, a few other disasters that happened in three years in our church. You know what? I had a sabbatical. I said to Janice, you know what? Maybe it's time to walk away. I need to go golfing. <laughs> it's a lot less stressful. Well, no, maybe not. Um, you haven't seen my game lately. It's about being faithful even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. That's really, really important, and that's what Jesus did. And so you look to him, I look to him. He was faithful to his Father's will all the time, faithful to his Father's will. There's not an instance where you can find in the Gospels that Jesus went, no, I'm going to do this my way. He did ask the Lord to pass the cup, that maybe he wouldn't have to drink of this cup called the crucifixion. And then he said, no, no, hang on a second. Your Your will be done, not my will. He was faithful. He endured it all the way to the cross. But you all also know this, and some of you are just going to love this, right? He called you and I, every one of his disciples, to be equally faithful, right? And how did he do it? Yeah. Matthew 16. If anyone would come after me, let him or her deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Follow my path. Follow me and be faithful. So faithfulness then is about integrity, it's about accountability, because it requires trust. So have you ever had this happen when you're talking to someone and they go, they, they, they say something and they go, trust me. <laughs> oh, I don't know how many times I've said that to people. And then they look at me and go, okay. <laughs> But isn't the bottom line is that when someone says that to you, that your your response is going to be kind of, or in your mind anyway, thinking, look, it might be helpful if I'd had maybe a couple of years of experience of (laughs) you being trustworthy. So imagine this, two imagines for you. Imagine actually knowing men and women who are like that. Do you know anyone? Honestly, do you know anyone you can go to? Because you trust them. They're faithful. They're not perfect. They're human. But you can trust them. Can you imagine that? How about imagine being someone others trust in this same way? That's the goal for me. That's the goal for us, Christian. We need this fruit. And we need to not just pray for it. We need to live it out. Experience it and live it out. So, friends, obviously the problem for most of us uh, is where we place our trust, right? Many of us, and rightly to a certain extent, we place our trust in our wives or in our husband, right? And, and that, that's good. We should trust each other. But as we all know, husbands fail, are not always trustworthy all the time. And various circumstances that break that trust, well, it's hard. It's hard to trust again, isn't it? We, we also place our trust in things materially, which we know are simply idols like money, like career, like even our temporary health because it's not permanent by the way. We place our trust in those and then and then when they fail us our trust in faithfulness in other people, maybe even in ourselves can be severely undermined. And then of course there's Jesus. Right? And again, we don't have time this morning to go through all the Gospels, all the examples, everything about him that is so faithful. But listen, he he did predict to his disciples, right? He told them that he would die and be buried for three days. And they're like, huh? And we're going to see that a little bit. And and what happened? And he said, I'll raise on the third day. And what happened? Well, he made a promise. He told them what was going to happen. He prophesied. And what happened? It came true. He did. What what did he also tell them when he he stood in front of the disciples before the day of Pentecost and just before he ascended, he said, what? I will come again. (laughs) I will come again. Revelation 19, the last book of the Bible, says this. John is being asked to write what he sees. The Apostle John. Here's what he writes in Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called capital F, capital T. Faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. This is the end times, the end of the world. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. Who are we talking about here? This is Jesus. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thank you, God I do not have to put my trust in my prime minister alone, <laughs> in the president of the United States alone, in any other worldly leader alone, but in the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So this parable that we're going to look at, just briefly as we come to our conclusion today, it comes in the midst of Jesus answering his disciples' questions about the end times. This is just before he's crucified. He's crucified. So let me read the first two verses for you. They'll be on screen, and then we'll just unpack it a bit. For the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says to his disciples, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And so like I said, this, he's, they, they've heard him say to them several times, okay, I am going to die. They're going to crucify me on a Roman cross. I'm going to be dead and buried. Uh, I, I will raise again on the third day. And they're thinking, what is going on here? And he, they're like, so they're asking him constantly, what, what? so how's it all going to wind up? How's it going to end? So he's trying to answer that for them, not trying, he is answering that for them, with a series of parables about the end times, when he will come back. Revelation 19, this is what it's all about. So this parable, listen, is about him. He is the man on the journey. He is the master of the what? The vineyard. (laughs) He is the master of this vineyard. It's a journey that starts when he's resurrected from the dead and then ascends to heaven, and it's the time between that event and what? When he comes again. That's when he walks away. He goes away. And so if that's true, and I believe it is, who are his servants then (laughs) in this parable? Anybody want to put their hand up? Yeah, if you're in Christ, it, it's you, it's me. We're the servants in this story and another person. You and I, so to one man, he gives five talents, another two, another one. But the key is, and don't miss this. This is important for us to, we'll wind up with it in just a sec. Each according to his or her ability. That's important. That's really important. important. And so you all know how this went, because I read to you earlier. So to cut to the chase, basically we're told that the one who had the five talents, what did he do? Immediately goes out, and he invests it, and he produces five more. It's amazing what he does. And the same with the person who had two talents. However, the servant with the one talent went and buried it in the ground, and then we read that the master returns after a long while. It's been a couple of thousand years, Jesus. That's a long while. Even so, come quickly, is our prayer, right? And asks for each to, listen, give an account of your life. One day, every one of us, when we pass from this life, is going to give an account before God. And so he asks them all to give an account. So both the one in the, uh, who, who had the five, pardon me, and the other who had two, joyfully, happily, they come to their master and go, hey, look what I did! Look, I I had five, and I've now got ten. I had two, and now I've got two. What's interesting is Jesus responds to both of them with the exact same words, thankfully. And these are the words (laughs) that every single one of us want to hear. You've heard these before, right? When we stand before him on that day of judgment, we want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful (sighs) over a little. I will now set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So listen, they they were good servants. Why? They were good because they knew the right thing to do and they did it. That's why they were good. And they were faithful because they were trustworthy with the master's wealth. I don't know if any of you know what a talent of gold was worth back in those days, Um, but just for your edification and interest, a million dollars equivalent to today. So the first fellow was given five million bucks. There's a lotto. He didn't consider it his own. That's an important point. Neither did the fellow who had two. We go on and it says this. In verses 24 and 25. He also had received the one talent, came forward saying this. Look at these words. Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Excuse me? You knew God to be hard? Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about what it is that you think when you think of God? I know some people think that's what he is. He's just a mean ogre who's just looking to punish people. Guy had the wrong idea, didn't he? He had the wrong idea. Reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master, Jesus, answered him, saying, You wicked and slothful, I'll get it out, servant. You knew that I look at Jesus doesn't talk about the hard bit at all, does he? He ignores that. Because that's not true. He goes right to you knew that i reap where i have not sown and gather where i scattered no seed then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming i should have received what was my own to begin with with at least interest so there's a universal application i believe here a universal application for the christian and the non it's it's called common grace From the time of creation, from the very beginning, every individual, every human being has been entrusted with the resources of time and with material blessing. Everything we have, whether you believe it or not, comes from God, and it ultimately belongs to him. We're just stewards of his goods and his blessings. Everything we have comes from God and belongs to him. We, we all are responsible, therefore, for using those resources so that they increase in value. And as Christians, the most amazing resource that all of, we ha- all of us have is what? Our lips, our mouths, our voices? This. That's the most incredible resource that we have. It's here. I've got nothing but this, the word of God. And that's what we need to see. So if we believe and understand him and apply his word as good stewards, we are a blessing to others and the value of what we do then does what? It multiplies. It becomes fruitful. It becomes fruitful. So as we conclude, I want to I consider a couple things. First is I, I think there can be a misconception in some of our minds that, that there's a difference between uh, faithfulness and fruitfulness. You know, some of us can be like, well, you know... <sighs> You know, like, I didn't save myself, and there's nothing I could do to do that. So, really, I I can't really, you know, produce fruitfulness. It's all the power of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I I just need to, you know, employ uh, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians, which will be on screen, where he said, I planted Apollos' water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And then they will suggest, all I need to do is be faithful, and God will worry about the fruit. each according to his or her ability. I'm thankful for that. Planted a church 14 years ago. Consider myself an average preacher, and I mean that sincerely. You know, I planted at the same time some other guys planted churches, and they've got churches of three, four, 5,000 people. Right? And so you can compare yourself, right? It's not faithfulness. It's not comparison. It's not comparison for you either. For me, it's not that. But it is about fruitfulness, it's required, it should be able to be measured. Faithfulness is not, listen, defined by the size of the increase, but by the reality that there needs to be and should be an increase. Paul's words to Timothy, her words I'll leave you with with one short illustration, seem very appropriate. I, I seem to come back to these verses a lot, but I'm going to give them to you again today. This is Paul after a long, long journey of faithfulness and I hope it'll be true for me and for you. He said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have kept the word of God. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. like this on my tombstone. (laughs) I don't know about you, this is faithfulness, faithful example of a man of God. Just an illustration I want to leave you with before we pray. I heard a great podcast this week. It was really good. It's about a, 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 ultimately about a subject we don't want to get into this morning, but the highlight for me was this young woman who was being interviewed and her story. She was an All-American, is an All-American champion Olympic team member swimmer. And there was a point in the interview where uh, she was being asked by the interviewer, uh, so t- describe to me, what was your life like? like, like to be, to get to that caliber at 19 years of age, she's now 22 today, and, and to get to that stage, what did it take in your life to become a champion swimmer? And she described from six years of age, you know, like, well, yeah, from six years of age, I was up at... in the morning, I swam for two hours before class, and then after school, I would go and swim for two more hours, and and that went on uh, for, you know, 13 years. And that's why I'm on the podium. And and so at at that point, he asked her, well, that cost you something, didn't it? I mean, what did it cost you? Describe the things that it cost me, cost you. And she said, well, simply, I mean, parties. And my friends were going to parties, and doing things at parties, but I couldn't go to parties. Like literally vacations, like unless there was a pool there. Like, I, you know, I, I didn't, and, you know, many, men boyfriends. Probably her dad's going, amen, good thing. <laughs> then she said something that I want to encourage you with, Christian, because I think sometimes I've felt this and sometimes this can happen. You know, the Christian life is, it's just a struggle. It's not the best life ever that's a lie. She said this, because he asked her, so that cost you, didn't it? It cost you a lot. She said, oh, I gained 10 times that. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much (laughs) again for this day, for your blessings and your care and Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, that, well, we know you're God, but by the same token, for you to teach these parables, these, these uh, simple stories that, that are so profound, and we read them 2,000 years later today, and, and we can read them, and we, we can understand exactly what you're getting at. And, and yeah, Holy Spirit, it, it can cut us to the heart. And that's a good thing. It, it, can, it can get us to the point, every single one of us, which we need, which is to, to come before you once again, maybe for the first time today, and just repent and say, I'm sorry. You are right. I failed you, God. I have not. I have not even acknowledged you as the God of this world. And your common grace towards me. But I want to from today on. And for those of us here today who are yours, Lord Jesus, your disciples, your followers, I pray that each one of us would recognize the number of talents that you've given to us and that we would be fruitful and that we would multiply them starting today and faithfully for the rest of our lives. I pray this for myself, first of all. Help me to finish well, Lord. Help us all to do that. Pray your blessings now in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.